when you hear the word worship, maybe that's what comes to mind, right? (laughs) What's been taking place in here? But when it comes to worship, what comes to mind for you other than what just took place up here this morning? Maybe it's a place of worship, like a church. Maybe it's a person of worship, like a worship leader or a choir director. Or maybe it's even an order of worship, a list of songs that are going to be sung on Sunday mornings. Maybe it's a time of worship. I've had people ask me in the past, what time is your church's worship service? What they mean by that is, what is the time that has been set aside by your church for corporate worship? So many, when they think of worship, they think of a time or a place or a person of worship. And also, for most people, When they hear the word worship, they think of a particular style of worship. Some of you, when you're asked about worship, you immediately think of a certain style of worship. Some of you think of contemporary worship with the praise band. Others think of a more traditional form of worship with a choir and an orchestra. And unfortunately, there have been many in our world today who have taken these strong stances when it comes to doing worship in a certain way, in a certain place, at a particular time, in a particular style, and many churches have been split as a result. And these arguments and these disagreements that have taken place in the church about the style of worship are so common that they, they actually have a name. It's called the Worship Wars. Any of y'all ever heard that title? The worship wars, that's what they call it. In the past 10 to 20 years, many of us have been in, who have been involved in the church, we have, we have witnessed this, haven't we? We've witnessed the tension that exists on both sides when it comes to worship to some degree, right? We have witnessed firsthand the tension that exists between those who prefer a more uh, traditional type and style of worship and and those who like a more contemporary style of worship. In an article I read recently, I read uh, an article by author and North American church planner Ed Stetzer, and it was called The Worship Wars. And here's what he said about it. He said this, Christians disagree about music style as much as any other issue in the body of Christ. I think many of us would agree with that, wouldn't we? Because we've seen it firsthand. Well, because this is such a major issue for us as Christians, let's see if we can't settle this debate this morning. What do you think? Let's settle it. Let's try to settle it once and for all. I'm optimistic that we can do that. How about you? No? All right, all right. I I got one optimist back there. Good. Well, work with me. Let me ask you this to to start. Somebody tell me where in the Bible it says what time we should meet for worship. Flip through there and find it. Where does it say thou shalt meet at 1030 in the morning? Anybody? 
Does it say that anywhere in the scriptures? Anybody know where that is? Okay, no worries. How about this? Let me ask you this. Where does it say specifically where we are to meet? Is there anywhere in the Bible that it says, thou shalt meet for worship in a church building with a choir loft and a steeple? Anybody? Can you find that? Somebody flip through and, and try to find that. No? Is there, is there anywhere in the Bible where it says, thou shalt never meet for worship in thy home or in a storefront building or in a coffee shop or in the park? Does it? Don't know where that is? Okay, let me see uh, something else. Where, where does it say this? Thou shalt worship the Lord with a choir wearing choir robes. Anybody know where that is in the Bible? Still don't? Okay, where, where does it say this? Only the godly use guitar and drums. Clay, you know where that is? No? Mike? Where does it say, thou shalt not sing its songs older than Chris Tomlin's songs? <laughs> or thou shalt not singeth anything newer than hymns written by Charles Wesley and John Newton? Anybody know where that is? I'm waiting. Nobody? You mean to tell me that our churches, a lot of them, have been ripped apart over issues that are nowhere to be found in the scriptures? Wow. You know what that should tell us, believers? That should tell us that all of these issues concerning time and place and order and style of worship, listen, they're not biblical issues. You know what they are? They're matters of preference. That's it. The reason why we do what we do here the reason why we're a little more laid back and we have a more contemporary style of worship, that's, that's just our preference. And we can do that because Scripture is silent when it comes to these things. Now, though that's the case, though Scripture is silent when it comes to the time and the place and the order and the style of worship, let me ask you this. Is Scripture silent when it comes to worship in general? No. See, all throughout the Scriptures... You find passages upon passages about worship. When I was preparing for this sermon, I was looking back over previous sermons I preached on worship. You know what I found? I preached five, six, seven, maybe even eight different, different sermons, different lessons on worship. And you know what? They've all come from different places in the Bible. And I'm sure over the next three years, that I'll have five or six, seven or eight more. Because the scriptures have a lot to say about worship and how worship is to be done by us. Folks, God cares about worship. He does. More specifically, he cares about the way in which we worship him. There are a lot of Christians today who, because of the issues that have stemmed from the so-called worship wars and for other reasons as well. They've argued that though it's important that we worship, it's not necessarily important how we do it. Folks, it's not true. It's not true. 
what you find as you study through the Bible and look at all the different passages on the subject of worship, you find that God has gone to great lengths to stress the fact that there is a right and a wrong way to approach Him in worship. The problem with us that instead of putting time into studying what God has to say about it, what we've done is we've chosen to take these secondary, extra-biblical, peripheral issues about worship and make those the main thing instead of looking to what God has to say about it. Well, this morning, we're going to make the main thing the main thing when it comes to worship. We're going to be looking at a chapter of Scripture that clearly explains to us how we are to worship God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 100. We are continuing our study through the Psalms this morning. And what we've been saying each and every week is that though the book of Psalms is, is classified as poetry, this book is, is more layered than that, isn't it? We, we, we've learned that there are various kinds and types of Psalms within the book of Psalms, and believe it or not, we, we have exhausted most of the categories in this book. We have discussed all the major categories of Psalms. So what I want to do this week and next week as we finish out this series is, I want us to revisit two of our most common types of psalms within the book of Psalms. This week, I want to look at another psalm of praise. And next week, I want to look at a, in the series by looking at another psalm of lament. So Psalm 100, this is clearly a praise psalm. Remember when we talked about praise psalms at the very beginning of this study? I explained to you that they follow a very simple format. Praise psalms normally begin with a call to praise. And then after that, you have a reason for praise. And then after that, you have a further call to praise. Pretty simple, right? And Psalm 100 is clearly a praise psalm. Let me show you. Look at verses 1 and 2. The psalmist begins by saying, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. See the call to worship here? Clearly a call to worship, right? Psalmist says, make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord. Come into his presence. This is a call to worship here. Then you have the reason for worship. Look at verse 3 and verse 5. Psalmist says in verse 3, It is the Lord who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. So, so here are the reasons we're to praise the Lord. Because God made us, because we are His, because He is good, and because His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness extends to all generations. That's the reason for worship. Then remember, praise psalms, they end with a further call to praise. Look at verse 4. Toward the end of this psalm, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. So there you have the, the further call to praise here to end the psalm. Clearly a praise psalm through and through. But though that's the case, 
What we're going to find, though this psalm is clearly a praise psalm, it is so much more than that. Within this psalm, we have a blueprint, folks, for how we are to worship the Lord. For the rest of the morning, what I want to do is, I want to break down this short psalm so that we can have a better understanding of the proper way to praise the Lord. Notice there are four things here that the psalmist teaches us about worship. The first thing we learn from this psalm about worship is this. God commands all people to worship him. Look at verse 1. The psalmist says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord who? All the earth. All the earth. Let me ask you this. According to this psalm, who does God want to worship him? Everybody, right? All people, everywhere. This is a universal call to worship. This is a universal call for all people everywhere to worship the Lord. Now let me ask you this. Where is this found in the Bible? Where is this chapter found in the Bible? Old or New Testament? Old, y'all with me, right? We're in the Old Testament? We have been for a while? Okay, just checking. All right, yeah, Old Testament. Isn't that interesting? You see, many, when they read the Old Testament, they mainly think of the Old Testament as being for the nation of Israel. They believe that these books were were mainly, in, in some people, only pertaining to them. But we clearly see here, early on, long before Christ's earthly ministry, God has had his heart set on the nations, on all people, everywhere. And, and we, we, we see as we study through the books of Scripture, we find this has always been the way, folks. From the very beginning, God has always had this desire to be known and worshipped where he is not known and worshipped amongst all people everywhere. Folks, this includes everyone out there. And this includes every one of us in here. This includes your neighbor across the street and that stranger on the other side of the world. And this includes you. God wants to be known and worshipped by all people out there and by you in here. And get this, something else I really want you to get here. I want you to let this sink in. Notice here that we're not asked to worship the Lord. We are commanded to do it. The psalmist doesn't say, if it's not too much trouble, could you worship the Lord, please? If you have time in your your busy schedule, could you make time to make a joyful noise to the Lord? Doesn't say that, does it? Doesn't say if you feel like it, could you please worship the Lord? No, it says make. Make a joyful noise. That word there, folks, is in the imperative. It's a command. Something we find all throughout God's word is this. Get this. God doesn't request worship. He demands it. He demands it. Which means if we don't do it, you know what? We're being disobedient. Heard someone say once, God is a gentleman. He asked nicely for us to follow him. 
for us to worship him. Listen, folks, God doesn't ask anything. He commands it. He says, follow me. He says, make a joyful noise to command. You ever thought about that? The fact that worship is a command. It's true. We often say, oh, he or she, they just haven't yet come around to, to following God. They will one day. They just haven't really come around to it. Maybe they'll choose to follow him sometime or another. That's a nice way of putting it. You know what the Bible says? It says those people are continuing in open rebellion against God. They are deliberately disobeying the one who commands worship. He commands it. If you're not worshiping the Lord, you're not doing what you were created to do. You're not doing what you were commanded by God to do and are in direct rebellion against him. This is why we pray for those who don't know the Lord. This is why we share our faith. This is why we do missions. Because there are people all around us and all around the world who are disobeying God by not worshiping him. And you know what? We're to go and tell them that. Some of you are thinking, man, Graham, that sounds, sounds kind of harsh. Kind of a harsh, harsh approach. That sounds sort of cold and unloving. And I'll admit to you, that message has been presented in an unloving way, which is not right, nor is it effective. We are called to speak the truth in love, right? But get this, we're called to speak the truth. And that's the truth. Worship is a command. Therefore, those who are not worshiping are deliberately disobeying him and are standing against him. Maybe this is you this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not worshiping God. You haven't given over the reins of your life to the Lord Jesus. You're living for yourself. Your life centers around you and what you want to do. Listen, I'm not going to sugarcoat things for you and tell you that's okay because it's not. But I am going to speak the truth and love to you. God's word is clear that if this is you, you're in rebellion against him. You're not doing what you were created to do and, and what you've been commanded by God to do. God has created you for himself, for his glory, and he demands that you give your life up and over to him. He demands it. And if you resist this calling, continue in unbelief. Scripture is clear that you'll pay the ultimate and eternal price for your rebellion and your disobedience. And that's a loving truth. And that's the first truth in this passage. When it comes to worship, God commands that all people worship him. Second, God wants his people to worship him joyfully, gladly, and willingly. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Pay close attention to the words joyful, gladness, and singing. They're not just there by accident. Not just thrown in. They tell us a lot here, don't they? 
Like we said in the introduction, these, these, these verses here, they tell us that God cares about the way in which we worship him. The psalmist is clear here that God desires to be worshipped joyfully, gladly, and willingly. You see, God knew that some might hear his command to worship and do it grudgingly. He knew some might have the mentality of, well, I guess I'm going to worship the Lord because he commands it, you know. Though I'd rather be doing anything else, I'm going to meet the letter of the law and go and worship the Lord. God knew some might have that mentality, which is why he directs the psalmist here to include these words, joyful, gladness, and singing here. It's because he wants to make the point. He doesn't want us to come and worship him grudgingly. He wants us to come joyfully. He doesn't want us to just make noise under obligation. He wants us to make a joyful noise to him. He doesn't want us to serve him unenthusiastically, but wants us to serve him with gladness. He doesn't want us to reluctantly enter into his presence while sulking, but he wants us to willingly enter into his presence with singing. It's a difference, isn't there? He doesn't want our attitude to be, do I have to go to church today? Do I, do I have to go? Could I not just stay home and sleep in? No, he wants our attitude to be, you can't keep me away from this place. Worshiping God alongside his people. There's a story I heard recently about a man who had been diagnosed with a terminal illness. When he received the news, he was told that he just had a few short months to live when the end was drawing near for him, he could barely get up out of bed during the week, but when Sunday rolled around, he got the help he needed and got to church and he got help going home and that continued until his last Sunday. Now this guy had served the Lord faithfully for years and years and I have no doubt that it would have been just fine if on this guy's last Sunday before his death, he would have just remained in bed and remained comfortable, but you couldn't keep this guy away. You couldn't keep him from meeting with God's people for worship. And I listened to the last sermon this man sat under here on earth. And it was moving to hear the, the pastor tell about this man's story. And though he could barely make it through the service by God's grace, he got through and he died before the week's end. And I tell you that story to say this, is this your mentality when it comes to worship? Is this your mentality when it comes to meeting here, singing praises with God's people? Is this your mentality when it comes to coming here and opening up God's word with God's people? Is this your mentality? It should be. Now, believers, if this is the way we should be, let me ask you this. Why aren't we? Why aren't we this way? I believe that the answer is real simple. I believe it's because oftentimes we're very unappreciative of what God has done for us, and the reason why I believe is because we're forgetful, very forgetful. The reason why we fail to worship God joyfully and gladly and willingly is because we so often neglect such a great salvation, as it says in Hebrews. 
So often we forget who we once were when God found us. And we often fail to focus on the great mercy and the great grace that's been shown us by Him. We're a forgetful people. Because we are, we need to constantly be reminded of the fact that apart from Christ, folks, we would be doomed. We need to, we need to be constantly reminded of the fact that though we were once con- condemned sinners, unclean, God has forgiven us. He has accepted us. He has adopted us. He has changed us. And he is currently transforming us into the image of his son. Folks, I promise you, if you would devote yourself to thinking on these doctrines, if you would spend your days learning and studying and meditating upon these teachings, I promise you, you could not help but make a joyful noise to the Lord. You'd be motivated to serve him with gladness and you would not miss an opportunity to come into his presence with singing. There's a third truth when it comes to worship we learn here. And it's this, not only does God command all people to worship him, for his people to worship him joyfully and gladly and willingly, but the psalmist also tells us God wants his people to worship him in word and in deed. Look again at verses 1 and 2, and then look at verse 4. The psalmist says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. So we clearly see here, we're called to worship the Lord. And notice we worship him both in word and in deed. Now I'm sure most, if not all of you in here, when you think of worship, you think of worshiping with words, right? You think of worshiping God with, with your mouths by singing songs of worship to him and shouting, shouting words of praise to him and by giving thanks to him for the great things that he's done. But notice verse 2. After calling for all people everywhere to make a joyful noise to the Lord, the psalmist says, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. So we worship God not just with the things that we say, but in the things that we do. We worship him by serving him and by serving his people. Earlier I told you when when people think of worship, they, they mainly think about what takes place in here. They think about a time of worship, a place of worship, a person of worship, an order of worship, and a particular style of worship. Notice all of these things pertain to Sunday morning in this place, in the worship center. But what we learn as we study Psalm 100 and elsewhere, we learn that worship is so much more than an event one day a week that involves singing in a facility like this one. One of my heroes of the faith, Legan Duncan, once said this. Look at this quote. Worshiping the Lord not only happens when we're gathered to praise Him on Sunday morning, but it happens in all of life. Worship happens when our workers in the nursery and kids' zone go back there to work with our kids and teach our kids and serve them. That's worship. 
I see our workers back there each and every week with the smile on their face, going back there, worshiping the Lord with gladness. That's worship. I had people in the past tell me this, I can't serve in any one of those areas on Sunday morning because I don't want to miss out on worship. Listen, I want you to get this. If you're able yet unwilling to serve in the church, let me tell you, you are missing out on worship. You are. Like I said in the past, worship is not only what takes place here on Sunday morning, but it's what takes place when you leave this place. You know what Sunday morning is? It's supposed to be an overflow of a week's worth of worship. More importantly is what takes place Monday through Saturday, week in and week out. Young folks, you worship the Lord by representing Him in your schools. You worship the Lord by loving others, serving one another, and not just your friends, but those who have no friends, those who are not a part of your group, nor any group, those who many consider to be outcasts, young folks, you're to go to them, you're to love them, you're to serve them. Adults, same goes for you. You're to be strong representatives for Christ before your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends, your family. You too are to love the unlovable and seek out those who are in need. And again, you're to do it with what? Gladness. Gladness. Knowing that's the way God's dealt with us. I mean, isn't it? Isn't this the way God's dealt with us? You see, there was a time when all of us were on the outs with God. We at one time were apart from and opposed to him. There was a time when you were not a part of his group. Did you know that? But he demonstrated his great love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And remember what Christ says in John 15? He says that we're to love one another in this way as he has loved us. We're to do the exact same thing because it's been done to us in a much greater way, right? So God wants his people to worship him in word and deed. One last point. The fourth truth when it comes to worshiping the Lord is this. God wants his people to worship him for who he is and for what he has done. Look at verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You know, this is one of the smaller psalms in the book of Psalms, yet this is a very comprehensive chapter on worship. I hope you're seeing that here. And in these two verses alone, the psalmist gives us all of the reasons why we're to worship the Lord. Now, some of you, upon hearing that, think that's a crazy statement because on the one hand, all of the oceans in the world could not contain the reasons why God is worthy of praise. But if you were to summarize all of those reasons, I don't think you could do it better than the psalmist does it here. First, he makes the point, we're to worship God because he's God. He says, know that the Lord, he is God. We are to praise God just for being God. You know, there are, there are times, a lot of times, we only praise God for the things he's done for us. But do you realize God deserves praise just for who he is? Just for being God? I mean, take you and me out of the situation for a minute. I know that's hard for us to do, right? But stretch yourselves and do that. 
And just think about God for a moment. I mean, he deserves worship just for who he is, doesn't he? And the psalmist is reminding us of that here. He's telling us that we're to worship God because he's God. We're to worship him because he is sovereign, because he is independent. We talked about that last week, meaning he's in need of no one or nothing, because he is all-powerful, holy, omniscient, meaning he knows all things actual and possible. He's omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere present. He's infinite. He's eternal. We're to worship him for all of those things and more. We're to worship God just because he's God. But not only that, we're also to worship him for what he's done for us. What has he done for us? Well, this can be summarized into two things. He has created us and he has redeemed us. He is to be worshipped as creator and redeemer. First, it is he who made us. God is worthy of worship because he has created all that is, us included. He is our creator. He has given us life, and get get this, he is keeping us alive at this very moment. You realize that? The reason why you're here this morning and the reason why you currently have breath in your lungs and life in your bones is because God has made you and is redeeming you. I would say that makes him worthy of worship, wouldn't you? Yeah. Hope so. But not only are we to worship him as creator, we're to worship him as our redeemer. God is our redeemer. Look at verse 3 again. The psalmist says, It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We are his. Now, some of you are probably wondering, where do you get redemption from that? Well, simple. Though God has created everyone, not everyone is his. To be the sheep of his pasture. We have to be redeemed. We have to be redeemed by God. We have to be brought in. Now, like I said earlier, because we're in the Old Testament, many think that when the psalmist is writing this here, in in verse 3, he's thinking of the Israelites and being redeemed from and being brought out from Egyptian bondage. And that may very well what have been what he was thinking when he wrote that in verse 3. But look at verse 5. He says this, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. The psalmist says here, not only is God worthy of worship for what he has done in the past, but he is also to be praised for his love that will continue and for his future faithfulness to who? all generations. Believers, we too can praise God as our creator and our redeemer because he has created us, he is keeping us, he is sustaining us, and because he has provided for us an even greater redemption and greater salvation through the person and work of his son, the Lord Jesus. And before you can truly worship God, like we've talked about this morning, joyfully, gladly, and willingly in both word and deed for who he is and what he has done. You have to first be redeemed by him through trusting in the person and work of his son, the Lord Jesus, for your salvation. Maybe you're here this morning, you can honestly say, I've never worshiped God in this way. And the reason why you have not is because you don't know him personally. 
If that's the case, I'm going to ask you this morning to consider making a serious commitment right here and right now, a commitment that will change the course of your life in a good way, in a God-honoring way. Scripture is clear, as we've talked about already. God has created us for himself and for his glory. But the problem is, we've all turned away from him. We've rejected his rule and reign in our life. We've chosen to go at life on our own. Because of this sin, we've been separated from God. But again, Scripture teaches us that though that's the case, though we are sinners, though we have turned away from God, God has demonstrated His great love for us by reaching out to us again through the person and work of His Son, the Lord Jesus. God loved us so much that He sent His Son for us to be for us what we could not be for ourselves, perfect inside and out. And to do what we cannot do for ourselves, make us right again with God. If you're here this morning, you're not worshiping God this morning because you don't know Him in a personal way, I invite you this morning turn from your rebellious ways, turn back to God, look to His Son, and trust in Him for your salvation. Let's pray.